Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Luke's English Podcast. Here is a brand new episode for you. Hello, uh, listeners who are listening. Hello in podcast land. I hope everything is fine wherever you are. And also, hello to video viewers, because this one is on video as well. There's a full version of this on YouTube. So, hello to everyone. Now, in this one, we're going to do another text adventure story. Uh, This is the sort of story in which you can read text on the screen and then you choose different options as you go and the story develops depending on the choices that you make. And you'll be able to see the text on the screen if you're watching the video version as I'm talking to you so you can listen and read at the same time. That should be good for your English. I'll probably explain a few bits of vocabulary as we go through the story. Um, If you are listening to this, as I expect most of you are, Most of you are in sort of audio land. So if you are just listening to this, you'll find the link to this story in the description. So if you like, you can listen and read with me at the same time. Stories are great for learning English, as we know. So let's do another one. So this story is available on textadventures.co.uk, which is a website that allows users to upload their own text adventure stories. And you can read them free. You don't have to sign in. You don't have to pay anything. It's all free. And the one we're going to do today is called is called Camp Stabby Whacker by Peter Carlson. I've done some of Peter Carlson's other stories on my podcast before. Long-term listeners will remember. Um, Peter even emailed me once to say that this was okay. He heard the first one I did, which was Victorian Detective. He heard that. He liked it. So he gave me his blessing to um, to do more of these. Uh, so I've done the Victorian Detective series. I also did uh, Zombolocaust, the zombie survival story from a year or two ago. Uh, so here's another one. And as I said, link in the description for the story. Check the show notes. You'll find a link to the story. So you can feel free to click the link and do the adventure yourself if you like. So you could listen to this, watch this. And then actually do the story yourself as well. You can choose different options, see if the story works out differently. And also vocabulary. You can, um, you know, copy, paste uh, any words or phrases that you don't know. You can add them to your vocabulary lists. You could paste them into an online dictionary in order to check the meanings of those words and to to find other examples. So you can do your own vocabulary research. Um, I'm, you know, I should, I probably will explain a few things as we go, uh, but we'll see. So, uh, this story is listed on the website as a horror story, but knowing Peter Carlson, it'll probably be quite a funny story too. But yes, it is listed as a horror story. 
So just bear that in mind if you don't like that kind of thing. I don't think it's going to be too, like, nasty or gory or anything like that. It should be fine. Uh, but anyway, just wanted to let you know. Uh, the story takes place in a summer camp, and I think there's a serial killer involved, but I'm not entirely sure. But that's all I'm going to tell you. Um, I haven't read the story myself, so let's just discover the story together as we go. I will try to read it clearly, and I will explain some vocabulary as we continue, probably. I'll try not to let vocabulary explanations interrupt the flow of the story, though, because the flow of the story is the, maybe the most important thing, and with the context of the story, that helps you to understand um, unknown words. But I'll explain some things and then sometimes I will just try to focus on telling the story. I don't know how long this is going to take, but we'll see. Now, if you really need some things to be explained, uh, as I said before, you can click the link, find the story, check those words in a good online dictionary. My favourite online dictionaries, English-English dictionaries, are uh, Collins Dictionary, uh, Cambridge Dictionary, Oxford Learner's Dictionary, Longman Dictionary and the Macmillan Dictionary. So if you just Google any of those things, you should find links to... Uh, those different dictionaries and you can use one of them or just use all of them and sort of like check the different definitions and different examples that you find. So let's get started then and we're going to have a look at Camp Stabby Whacker by Peter Carlson. The summary of this on textadventures.co.uk is this. Ah, high school is over. Summer is here. Time to find a summer job. Oh, Camp Stabby Whacker is hiring. What could go wrong? Okay, now it's probably necessary to say at the beginning that... So this is an American story. It's set in the United States somewhere. I think that Peter is is from the United States. So it will be written in American English and it takes place in the USA, which is fine because it allows us to maybe compare uh, British English and American English. So if there are moments in the story where I notice examples of American English and I think, hmm, in British English it would be different, then I'll try and point those things out. So it'll give us a chance to compare and contrast American and British English a little bit. So let's get started. Camp Stabby Whacker by Peter Carlson. And it says, this game uses music. I recommend headphones. So, okay, there might be some sound effects as we go through this. Uh, let's get started. So your puttering old car bumps down the desolate woodsy road through the forest. A few weeks ago, you graduated high school. And now you're on your way to work as a camp counsellor at Camp Stabby Whacker. Okay, let me just explain a couple of things. Your puttering old car. A puttering car is the sort of car that's old and so the engine is kind of going like that. So puttering is, a, is an adjective used to just describe sort of the sound that an old car might make. Puttering old car. It bumps down the desolate woodsy road. So... A desolate road. This is a road where there are no people. There's like no civilization, no houses, no sign of human life, let's say. Um, woodsy is, there's lots of trees and things. It's like you're in a wood or a forest. So your, your puttering old car bumps down the desolate woodsy road through the forest. A few weeks ago, you graduated high school. So in British English, we tend to say graduated from high school. In American English, they would just say graduated high school. So graduate without the preposition. But in British English, we use a preposition there. So you graduated from high school. 
And now you're on your way to work as a camp counsellor at Camp Stabby Wacker. So a bit of culture here. In the United States of America in the summer, it's very common for kids to go off to summer camp. And a summer camp is a place where kids can go. They uh, they sleep there. They might stay there for a week or a couple of weeks or something. And they spend all their time playing games, doing activities. It's all very outdoorsy. So lots of stuff takes place outdoors. Lots of games and adventures and activities outdoors. Um, a camp counsellor, these are the essentially the people who work at the camp and they lead the activities, they look after the children, they are the camp counsellors. And it's common for students in the United States, maybe um, during the summer months when they're studying at university um, or college, uh, you know, during those breaks, those summer breaks, they might go and work as camp counsellors. My dad did this actually in 1968. He went to the United States and uh, during the summer, he worked at a summer camp uh, when he was 21 years old. So, we are on our way to work as a camp counsellor at Camp Stabiwaka. The sweet singing of insects and birds seems to have eerily dissipated as you venture further into the grove. You sit in your car, alone, driving down the winding path. It's late afternoon. So, the sweet singing of insects and birds... Yeah, it seems to have eerily dissipated. So dissipated means slowly gone away, sort of disappeared slowly. And eerie, uh, normally spelled E-E-R-I-E, that's eerie is the adjective, the adverb eerily. So the sound of the birds and insects has eerily dissipated. If something is eerie, it means it's strange and a bit creepy and maybe a bit frightening. So uh, the sound of the birds and the the insects, the bees and things, has sort of mysteriously disappeared, which is a little bit scary, maybe, as you venture further into the grove, as you journey further in. Um, You sit in your car alone, driving down the winding path. Winding means turning. The, The road turns left and right, a bit like the way a road might go down the side of a mountain. Uh, the winding path through the forest. It's late afternoon. Your mind begins to wander. That's W-A-N-D-E-R, wander, meaning sort of go off in another direction. Now, there's also wander, W-O-N-D-E-R, which is when you think about things and you try to understand why. Like, hmm, I wonder why, for example. Like, I wonder why uh, people drive on the left in the United Kingdom. Hmm, I wonder, W-O-N-D, and wonder, W-A-N-D-E-R, is normally used for walking. You know, for example, to wander around the city. But also your mind can wander, meaning your mind sort of goes for a walk and you start thinking about something else. So your mind begins to wander, W-A-N-D-E-R, and you begin thinking about... And you begin thinking about... Uh, And then we've got four options here. So you begin thinking about how much fun you'll have working with kids at the camp. You you begin thinking about how much money you'll make working this summer. You begin thinking about your chances of hooking up with potentially... Your chances of hooking up with potentially hot co-workers and the nagging feeling of nervousness in the back of your mind. 
So thinking about how much fun you'll have working with kids at the camp, that's easy to understand, how much money you'll make, your chances of hooking up with potentially hot co-workers. So hooking up, this means romantically becoming sort of romantically or sexually involved with someone, right? Uh, with potentially hot co-workers. Co-workers are other people you work with. If they're hot, it means that they are attractive. And potentially hot, well, we don't know if they're hot yet because we haven't seen them, but they might be hot, so they are potentially hot. There might be some hot co-workers at the camp and, you know, maybe we will be able to hook up with one of them. Or we are thinking about the nagging feeling of nervousness in the back of your mind. So if you have a nagging feeling, it's like a feeling or a thought in the back of your mind that doesn't let you relax. It's like hmm, something that's kind of bothering you. It's nagging you. It doesn't let you rest or relax. It's kind of like in the background worrying you. Also, we use nagging for, well, it's often used for when a wife is always bothering her husband. It's probably a bit of a sexist idea, but um, the idea that uh, that uh, a wife is always nagging her husband, like, why don't you do that? When are you going to do that? Yeah, stop doing that. That's nagging as well. But in this case, it's a nagging feeling of nervousness in the back of your mind, like, hmm, something's not quite right. I'm kind of curious about that one. Yeah, we'll probably have fun working with the kids. We probably won't make a lot of money. We might hook up with some hot co-workers. We'll see. But then the nagging feeling of nervousness, I'm curious about that. It says, you can't shake a feeling of uneasiness. Uneasiness is like an uh, um, sort of um, anxiety. Something doesn't feel right. You continue driving down the quiet road. So we've got some options. Uh, we can continue driving in silence. We can play our favourite CD or we can turn on the radio. Um, let's turn on the radio. I'm a radio fan. Let's see what's going on. So, it says, you scroll through the hiss of radio static for a couple of minutes. So, we kind of like go through the dial, you know, the, on those one of those old-fashioned radios. You scroll through the hiss of radio static for a couple of minutes. Hiss is like, that would be hiss, like what you get on a radio before coming up on one of the few working channels in these woods. And then we hear this, uh, what looks like a news report. Breaking news. Now, I'm going to do all of these in, Brit in my British accent, basically. Just what's most natural to me. Breaking news. Redgate prisoner Charles Akron, convicted murderer of eight people over the last three years, has escaped custody mere weeks before his death sentence was to be carried out. Please be on the lookout for a... So that's obviously the, the radio report sort of fades out at that point. Okay, breaking news. Redgate prisoner Charles Akron. So Charles Akron is a prisoner at a local prison. He's a convicted murderer. So the judge and the jury convicted him of murder. He killed eight people over the last three years. So he's a serial killer. He's escaped custody. Custody is when um, someone is held by the police. So in police custody or in prison, in jail. That's custody. 
To be in custody is to be in prison or to be in jail. He's escaped custody mere weeks before his death sentence was to be carried out. Mere, if we use the word mere before, usually before a number, or in this case it's weeks, so just a few weeks, mere weeks before his death sentence, mere is used to emphasise that this is a, a small amount, like a small number. For example, you know, if you work at a summer camp, they pay you a mere £200 a week. Right, meaning emphasising it's a it's a small amount. So he escaped custody mere weeks before his death sentence was to be carried out. Please be on the lookout for a. Bzzz. So they're about to describe the uh, killer, but then the radio loses its connection. Okay, so there's a serial killer. He's escaped from the local prison. He was going to be. Uh, killed because obviously they have the death penalty in some states in in the United States so he was going to be killed but he's escaped great so there's a there's it seems there's a uh, a serial killer on the loose and the story continues the radio report fades into static static again is just like that sound of we don't really get static that much anymore it used to be on TVs as well. If you if your TV wasn't working properly, you would just get that kind of white noise and just visual static, just kind of like grey and white, like visual noise. Um, so the report fades into static. Redgate Prison is only a few miles away from these woods. That's a bit unsettling. Unsettling is, if something is unsettling, it means it, 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 it makes you nervous. Hey! Someone calls out from the side of the road up ahead. You jump at first, like surprised. You haven't seen anyone in at least half an hour, yet now there's a young, muscular man shouting out to you. He looks to be in his early 20s and has a thick black beard and a backpack. He wants to get a ride. Okay, so maybe this is the serial killer, right? Thick black beard... Someone's got a thick black beard in a story. They're always potentially um, untrustworthy. Uh, thick black beard and a backpack. Maybe this is the serial killer or maybe this is just a, a hitchhiker. I did a, a story on the podcast a while ago about a hitchhiker and there was some murder involved in that as well. Seems to be a recurring theme on my podcast. So what should we do, listeners? Should we give him a ride or should we just drive past him? Now, it could be the serial killer, so if we give him a ride, he might just stab us. In fact, the, the camp is called Camp Stabby Whacker, which does have the word stab in the title. Uh, to stab is to, you know, put a knife into someone's body. Not a very nice thing to do. Not a very polite thing to do, is it? <laughs> but, uh, so, I don't know, maybe we're going to get stabbed here, but... Um, I feel like for the benefit of the story, I'm curious. I think we should give him a ride. And if he does murder us, then I'll just have to restart the story. It's not the end of the world, thankfully. So let's give him a ride and we'll see. So you pull to the side of the road and gesture to the man. Like gesture, do something with your hand uh, to say, kind of get in the car. A wide grin spreads on his face and he hops in the... And he hops in the passenger seat of your car, 
pushing through the pile of empty styrofoam cups and burger wrappers at his feet. So he smiles, but he doesn't just smile, he grins. A grin can sometimes be a sort of an evil smile. We'll see what this character is like. So he, a grin appears on his face and he hops in the passenger seat. So he sort of jumps into the car, pushing through the empty pile of styrofoam cups and burger wrappers. Styrofoam cups, these are those disposable cups. They're not really made of plastic. They're made of a sort of soft, um, spongy plastic material. Styrofoam cups, you know, typical things you get. You might, if you buy a coffee at a roadside takeaway place they might serve it to you in a styrofoam cup with a little plastic lid on the top uh burger wrappers these are wrappers of you know burgers that we've eaten and we've just dropped the wrapper on the floor of the car um thanks man says the bearded dude my name's davy are you working at camp Stabbywacker too yeah you respond i'm going to be a counselor there were you really walking all the way there davy says my car broke down about a month ago, replies Davy. I took a bus to the entrance of this forest road and started walking. And I love the outdoors and exercise. It really clears the mind, you know. I don't mind it, but it's starting to get dark. So I figured, so I figured I'd try to get a ride. Okay, fairly clear. So what's my response? I like the outdoors too. I'm all for a good jog or bike ride. If you're all for something, it means that you you like it and you think it's a good idea. I'm all for it. Should we get pizza? Yeah, I'm all for that idea. To be all for something, meaning you think it's a good idea. So you could say that. I like the outdoors. I'm all for a good jog or a bike ride. Or I'm more of an indoors kind of guy. Did you see that new movie that just came out? Um, I'm a bit of both, really. I quite like the indoors and the outdoors. Let's have a bit of movie chat, because I do like that. I like films. Let's see. I'm going to click on that one. So, did you see that new movie, I said to Davey? No, I don't think I did, says Davey. Davey's a cool dude, but you find it hard to relate to him. So, it seems Davey is not really the movie type of guy. The two of you continue driving down the long road for perhaps 15 more minutes before reaching the campground. There are a few other counsellors walking around prepping the camp for the arrival of kids in the next few days. You throw your duffel bag over your shoulder. A duffel bag is a sort of a basic uh, bag for carrying stuff like your clothes if you go camping. So you throw your duffel bag over your shoulder and stretch your legs. You approach a slender girl, not slender man, a slender girl in this case. Slender means kind of slim, right? Slim, slender. It means kind of slim or thin. Slim or slender, these are more positive words than thin. So you approach a slender girl that looks about your age and you scratch the back of your head in thought. Do you know where we put our stuff, you ask? Meaning, where shall I put my stuff? Where shall I put my bag? The girl points across the campground to the staff cabins. One for guys and one for girls. She has long blonde hair and stunning blue eyes. Hmm. My name's June, she tells you as you exchange introductions. She points up to a distant cloud in the sky. It's puffy, large and very tall. 
It looked like it looks like it might rain, she says. I always forget what are those kinds of clouds called? All right, so she's testing our general knowledge here for some reason. So, okay, she's pointing at some clouds. Now, this is one of those potentially hot co-workers, I think, that uh, we talked about before. So I suppose we should probably give her the correct answer. We want to impress her, right? So, uh, puffy, large, tall, white clouds, the ones that look like they're made of cotton wool. Are they cumulonimbus clouds or cirrus clouds or stratus clouds? All right. Now, I do remember this from my geography lessons at school. For some reason, clouds were included in geography. Um, and I think those ones are commun- cumulonimbus clouds, the large fluffy ones. Let's see. Cumul- it's difficult to say. Cumulonimbus. Oh, yeah, that's right, she says before looking back at you. She brushes her long golden hair out of her eyes. So what are we going to do now, everybody? So here are the options. We can tell a joke or you, we can say, you know, you're very beautiful. So which side of the bunk bed do you want? You're very beautiful. Which side of the bunk bed do you want? As if to say, uh, hey, we're going to sleep together, baby. Which side of the bed do you want to sleep on? Or so what do you like to do? trying to make conversation, or should we just go and put our stuff away in the cabin? Now, we probably should flirt with her in some way, but I don't think we should say, so which side of the bed do you want to sleep on? Because that is just creepy and terrible. Um, So what do you like to do? Um, To be honest, I don't think either of those three options, like tell a joke, just randomly tell a joke, could be dangerous, could be risky. I don't think we're going to suggest that we sleep together immediately. It's not a good idea. She won't respond to that. What do you like to do? It's a pretty clunky chat-up line. Or should we just go and put our stuff away? Now, that might be a good idea, actually, because if we go in too hard and start chatting her up immediately, she might get defensive. It might be a good idea instead to just be respectful and unassuming and go and put the bag in the cabin. And, you know, now that we've met her, next time we see her, we can go up to her and sort of say, oh, hi, how's it going? You know, and it's probably a better idea. But then tell a joke is one of the options. And this is this is me, isn't it? I cannot help myself. I can't help telling cheesy jokes. So I feel compelled to click that one. This is probably a terrible idea, but I'm going to do it anyway. So let's let's do that. But which joke should we tell? Okay, so we've got three jokes. Three possible jokes. We've got the one about the snail. We've got the one about the whales, you know, those large mammals that live in the ocean. Or the one about the child molester. A child molester. A child molester is someone who sexually abuses children. So that's there's no way I'm going to tell that joke. That is a terrible idea. Some horrible joke about a child molester. No. So it's either about a snail or about whales. Um, I, you know... What's the difference? I'm going to go for the whales. I, I prefer whales as animals. So let's have that. So <laughs> why are we doing this? This is so stupid. You just go up to a girl and you say, oh, do you know where we put our stuff? Oh, yeah, just over there. And then she says, what are those clouds called? Now, fair enough, that's a bit of a weird tangent. 
What are those clouds? Uh, communalimbus. And then you say, so there are these two whales. This is a terrible idea, but I'm going to do it. So there's these two whales, you begin. They come up to a boat in the middle of the ocean. And one of them says, hey, that would be hilarious if you shot water out of your blowhole and tipped this boat over. So, you know, whales have got a blowhole on the top of their body and they blow the water out of it. So it would be hilarious if you shot water out of your blowhole and tipped this boat over, made the boat tip over. So the second whale shoots out some water and the boat flips over. The boat flips over. Sailors are crashing through the waves and the first whale says, hey, you should totally eat those sailors. To which the second whale replies, whoa, 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 I was okay with the blowjob, but I'm not trying to swallow the semen too. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, dear. It's a terrible, terrible, cheesy sexual joke. I was okay with the blowjob, meaning blowing water out of my blowhole, but I'm not trying to swallow the semen too. <sighs> so semen... S-E-A-M-E-N. These are men who work on the sea, like sailors. But also seamen, S-E-M-E-N, is the uh, fluid stuff that comes out of a gentleman's body part when he gets a bit too excited sexually. Now, I've been here before, listeners and viewers, trying to describe what sperm is which was unnecessary. As someone wrote in the comments, don't worry, Luke, you don't need to explain that. We all know what sperm is. (laughs) So I'm assuming you all know what sperm is, you all know what semen is, and you probably got the joke. So the whale whale says, I'm okay with the blowjob, but I'm not going to try and swallow the semen too. June, the girl, chuckles. (laughs) She chuckles and gives you a friendly slap on the arm. Oh, you. And she says, don't tell that one to the kids, okay? Oh, the the joke, surprisingly, went down quite well with June. The two of you laugh and converse, meaning have a conversation, for several more minutes before you split up and you head off to the staff cabins to drop off your stuff. Wow, that went surprisingly well for such a dodgy joke told for no reason at all. Okay, let's continue. You push open the creaky screen door to the cabin. You take a few steps into the dimly lit cabin. It's dimly lit, so it's not very well lit. You're standing in a main room with four unsanitary cots. A cot is a kind of bed. Normally, uh, a baby would sleep in a cot. But I suppose in a summer camp, in a cabin, you probably have cots, which are like basic little beds in a wooden cabin. Uh, Unsanitary means not very clean. So you're standing in a main room with four unsanitary cots and two, four sort of dirty looking beds. You, You toss, meaning you throw your duffel bag down on one of the unclaimed beds when you see a large spider crawling across your sheets. Ugh. Large spider there crawling across the sheets. So what do we do? Should we squish it or squash it? Or should we jump away? Whoa. Okay. Now, this is the United States. They do have poisonous spiders over there. Um, now, 
I think we should probably squish it, right? Because we don't want that spider cre- crawling around in bed uh, while we're sleeping and biting our toes. So I think we're going to squish it. Sorry, spider fans. So you fearlessly take your shoe off and slam it onto the spider, splattering it into a gooey mass. Gooey means like, describes the consistency. It's like, uh, gooey is like uh, wet and a bit sticky. Um, You splat it into a gooey mass. You brush the deceased arachnid spider off of your stuff when you catch a moving shadow in the corner of your eye. So I would actually say you're brushing the deceased arachnid off when you catch a moving shadow in the corner of your eye. So just from the side of your vision, you can see a shadow moving. We know from horror movies that that's never a good sign. So you turn around to see a guy about your age, complete with a curly head of messy brown hair, socks and sandals. So he's about our age. He's got curly, messy brown hair. He's got socks and sandals. By the way, what happened to Davy, the hitchhiker? Don't know. He's probably gone off somewhere else. Anyway, so there's this guy with brown, messy, curly hair and socks and sandals. Socks and sandals? That's possibly even more frightening than the spider, isn't it? Let's be honest. Socks and sandals. No, 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 no. And the guy says, that spider didn't even see it coming, laughs the guy. (laughs) That spider didn't even see it coming. It must not have had very good spider senses. I would actually say it can't have had very good spider senses or spider sense. You know, Spider-Man's got spider sense. He's like, he can sense when something's going to happen. And then he says, my name's DC. Well, Dougie Carter. But everyone calls me DC. You talk to the lanky dude for a few minutes. So lanky, if someone is lanky, it means they're tall. You talk to the lanky dude for a few minutes. So what do we say? Do we say this? You ever notice how you never see a spider lying out? I would say lying down. But here we've got, you ever notice how you never see a spider laying out relaxed, legs stretched out? They're always ready to scare you true you never see a spider just sort of chilling out they're always just ready to get you or you say i think that was a brown recluse i don't know if there's a joke there or if that's like the type of spider but yeah it's true you never see a spider just chilling out i prefer the first option uh it's more like a jerry seinfeld or ricky gervais comedy routine You never see a spider just chilling out, do you? They're always just there, ready to get you. Let's have a look. DC laughs at your joke, imagining a spider stretching out and taking a nap. You're a funny dude, bro, says DC. He throws on a plaid hoodie. That's plaid means checked. You know, like those Scottish patterns. Check. He throws on a plaid. In America, they say plaid. In uh, the UK, we say check or checked. Um, tartan is another one that's the Scottish one so he throws on a a plaid hoodie that has a logo reading element 92 and it has an image of a red arrow pointing upwards inside a circle element 92 is that a surfing company hold on let me google it element 92 is uranium 
Okay. The chemical element uranium, the symbol U, the atomic number 92. Okay, that's interesting. Uranium is used in nuclear power plants. But is it also a... Um, uh, it, yeah, it seems to be a, a company as well that sells um, clothing. Yeah, I found a, I found a picture of one on Amazon. Uh, other websites are available. Okay, so he's wearing a hoodie with this logo on it. And we say, hey, isn't that, isn't Element a surfing company, you say? Or, hey, isn't Element a record label? Or you say, hey, isn't Element a, a skateboard company? Or you say, oh, I see you're, you're a big fan of uranium. I think we're going to go for the uh, uranium option because it's, it's another joke. And I just want to show off that I know what uranium is. Um, so he's got element 92. I see you're a big fan of uranium. <laughs> Let's choose that one. DC laughs. Yeah, very clever, bro. Good old atomic number 92. So we're bonding with uh, DC with jokes. The two of you laugh together for a few minutes before you both head out for a staff meeting. The evening sun is near setting now. So the evening sun is almost uh, has almost set. It's almost setting. Is near setting. That's I would say that's American English to be near setting. I would say almost setting. Uh, you're gathered with seven other people, including your boss, Mrs. Ernest, a tall black woman with short curly hair and a perpetual frown. A frown is when you have a serious look on your face. OK, so it's a staff meeting of camp counsellors uh, with Mrs. Ernest, who looks like our boss. Uh, let's see. OK, so other than her... Uh, you recognise Davy, June and DC, but there are three other young councillors that you haven't met yet. Mrs Ernest quizzes the lot of you on the camp rule book and safety precautions. She turns to you. What is the most important thing about Camp Stabbywacker, she asks. And we've got four options. So is it this? The kids should learn and build character. Or the kids should explore and adventure. Or the safety of the kids. Or is it this, the kids should have fun and make friends? Well, I mean, obviously the kids should learn, build character, explore, have adventure, uh, have adventures, have fun and make friends. But I think it's got to be the safety of the kids first, right? Safety first. I'm going to go for that. The safety of the kids, you say. Very good, replies Mrs. Ernest. That is the main priority. If we had... If we'd been a bit more conscious of safety a few years ago, we would never have had the incident. Ooh, incident. What incident is this? You and the rest of the group continue going over the camp manuals. These are the books, the guide, you know, the books of rules until the sun sets. The sun rises in the morning and sets in the evening. So we keep looking at the camp manuals until the sun sets. Finally, Mrs. Ernest wraps up her lecture. She finishes her lecture and brings out a cooler of old hamburgers and chips. A cooler would probably be a box, um, a cool box that you keep food in, a sort of refrigerated box. She heads back to her personal cabin and lets you all enjoy a late dinner. Okay. So, you cook up a burger and look around. 
To your left, there's a shy-looking girl with short red hair. She nervously sips a soda and gazes out into the woods, her green eyes glimmering in the cold light of the rundown gazebo eating area. To your right, you see a supple Hawaiian girl eating a handful of potato chips. She has thick, dark hair and a pretty smile. She gives you a glance and sends a smile your way. Not bad, eh? Not bad. So uh, there's a shy-looking girl on my left with short red hair. She's nervously sipping a soda. That's a, like a soft drink, uh, uh, Coke or something. And she gazes out into the woods, her green eyes glimmering. So glimmering is a bit like glittering or shining in the cold light of the rundown gazebo eating area. A gazebo is a sort of covered area that you might get in the middle of a park. Um, and uh, it's it's maybe like a bandstand, you know, when they have a band playing in a park, they would do it under the gazebo. So she's in the gazebo eating area, a, a covered area. It's kind of outdoors, but with a roof on the top. So she's there. Uh, it's run down, means it's in poor condition. So it's sort of maybe a little old, maybe a bit damaged. So she's she's there sipping her soda uh, in the in the gazebo, and to your right you see a supple Hawaiian girl. If someone is supple, it means that they're uh, in good shape, physically in good shape, and probably quite flexible, quite strong. Let's have a look at uh, what Colin says about the word supple here. Okay, supple. So a supple object or material bends or changes shape easily without cracking or breaking. Flexible. A supple person can move and bend their body very easily. Hmm. I don't know how we know that the girl is supple just by looking at her. But anyway, you could say that's quite an appealing description. So you see a supple Hawaiian girl eating a handful of potato chips. She has thick, dark hair and a pretty smile. She gives you a glance and sends a smile your way. So she smiles at you. Hmm. So who should we sit with? The redhead on the left or the Hawaiian girl on the right? Well, that smile and the thick dark hair and the supple physique of the Hawaiian girl, I think that's going to win here. Although the redhead sounds appealing as well. Um, let's see. Actually, before, before I click on this, what about this incident? Let me just go back to that. So something about the, the safety of the kids. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was an incident so I wonder what happened. I don't know if this is going to be important, but we'll see. Anyway, we're now going to sit with this nice-looking Hawaiian girl on my right. You, you introduce yourself to the slender girl. Another slender girl. I'm Lai Lai, she tells you. But can we be sure she's telling the truth? Did you get the joke? Her name is Lai Lai, but it's spelt L-I-L-A-I-L-A-I. I'm Lai Lai, she tells you as you take a seat on the bench beside her. The two of you laugh and chat for a few minutes. She ends up asking you, what activity do you want to run here at the camp? So we've got exploring the forest, swimming, arts and crafts, or campfire stories. Well, let's go for campfire stories. I mean, this is Luke's English podcast after all. Campfire stories, you say. Oh, that's cool, says Lai Lai. She doesn't seem genuinely interested. So she's like, oh, that's cool. Doesn't seem to care that much. Hey, where's DC? asks June from across the gazebo. You look around, but DC is gone. Who cares? 
said, says the final man you haven't been introduced to. He's a tall, muscular man with short, dark, with a short, dark crew cut and dark eyes. Doesn't sound very nice. He's a tall, muscular man with a, with a short, dark crew cut. A crew cut is a very, very short haircut, like the haircut that guys get when they go in the army. That's a crew cut. So he's got a short, short, dark crew cut and dark eyes. Bruce is such a jerk, mutters Lily. A jerk. It's like a. It's an American English word. It's like an idiot. Bruce is such a jerk, mutters Lily. You look out into the campground and see a shadow coming towards the gazebo. Who is that? So it's kind of dark. So there's a shape, a shadow coming towards the gazebo. Who is it? Hey, guys, it's just DC carrying a cooler, another one of those boxes. It's really starting to get dark out now as he drags the cooler to the centre of the group. Everyone begins introducing themselves and you take mental note of all the names and faces. So there's June, who is the calm, blue-eyed blonde. There's DC, who is the chill skater bro. There's Davey, who is the outdoorsy beard guy we picked up in the car. There's Lily, the Hawaiian hottie. There's Kim, who is the redhead shy girl, and there's Bruce, Bruce, no, Bruce, who is the dickish jock. A jock is a sort of a sporty American guy who's normally very competitive, and he's dickish, so he's a bit of a dick. Who wants a beer? asks DC as he cracks open the cooler. He looks over to you. Thirsty? So what do we do? Take a drink or decline the offer? Well, Come on, we're at the summer camp. He's offered us a beer. Let's take a drink. So we take a drink. You kick back and relax with your fellow young adults. DC, Bruce and Lily drink with you while June, Davy, and Kim politely decline. DC walks over to the fire pit and starts throwing together some sticks. He pulls out his lighter and starts a small campfire. Everyone begins wandering over to the flames as they grow. Who do you sit next to? June, DC, Davy, Lily, Kim or Bruce? I'd be up for sitting with anyone except Bruce. But I have to say, I'm rather interested in sitting next to one of these girls. We haven't met Kim yet, the ginger, the shy looking ginger girl. Let's sit next to her. So, you take a seat next to Kim on a large flat rock. She glances over at you she glances over at you kindly, her eyes twinkling in the firelight. She seems nice. So, did you hear on the radio earlier? begins Bruce. Oh, that's this is Bruce, so I need to give him a bit of a dick voice. So, did you hear on the radio earlier? begins Bruce, addressing the group as a whole. That fiendish murderer, Charles Akron, escaped from Redgate Prison. That's just a few miles away. Bruce ominously looks around the fire, smoke and ashes floating through the night air. If something's ominous, then it's sort of got a bad vibe or a bad feeling, like things feel bad or look bad. So he ominously looks around the fire as if, like things are bad. Relax, laughs DC. This isn't Friday the 13th. He'll be caught by morning, no doubt, bro. This place is pretty spooky, says Kim, inching towards you, her warmth pressing against your body. Huh. So she's slowly moving towards you, inching towards you. She's slowly moving towards you, her warmth pressing against your body. Whoa, okay, Kim. 
let's not tell my wife. Although obviously in the story, the character isn't married, as far as I know. That's not even the spookiest thing. The spookiest. That's not even the spookiest thing, says Davy, as he pokes at the fire with a charred stick. A charred stick. This is a stick that has been burned slightly. He looks up at the group and takes a deep breath. I've heard Camp Stabiwaka is haunted. (gasps) Ooh, okay, let's continue. Davy continues his story. A few years ago, there was this kid that went to camp here. There was a tragic accident. There was a tragic accident, some horrible neglect and absence of safety, and the kid drowned in Lake Stabiwaka. His ghost haunts these campgrounds. By the way, neglect, negligence and neglect. Neglect is when someone doesn't uh, take enough care. So basically someone wasn't watching the kids, someone was negligent and they, they didn't take enough care and this kid drowned in the lake. Apparently his ghost haunts these campgrounds. I heard he fell out of a tree and broke his neck, said Kim, says Kim. No, he was stung by a bee and had a fatal allergic reaction, argues Bruce. Well, whatever it was, there's there was a terrible tragedy in which a camper died, says Davy. His spirit is angry and vengeful. Oh dear. We've got an angry and vengeful uh, ghost of a child that died uh, on the camp. And it's surprising that the camp is still going. Normally, if something like this happens, the camp just closes. But anyway. Oh, creepy noises. So that's the end of Act One. Small talk. So, depending on your choices and interactions with your co-workers, you've developed characteristics and built different relationships with them. Oh, interesting. So, uh, my character type is that I am I'm a level two for reckless, level four for cautious, a level five for carefree, and a level two for thoughtful. So, I am quite... This is interesting. I am both carefree and cautious at the same time. If you're carefree, it's like, oh, let's not worry about anything. You know, hey, you only live once. That's to be carefree. And to be cautious is like, oh, I'm not sure. Let's be careful. That's, mm, that's cautious. So I'm somehow I'm both carefree and cautious. I don't know how that's possible. My relationships. Uh, so I've got a level two relationship with June, level three relationship with DC, a level one relationship with Davy. So I guess the higher the number, the better the relationship. Number one with Mrs. Ernest, number two with Lili, one with Kim and one with Bruce. So I look, it looks like I'm, do, I'm getting on with June and DC the best. Okay, let's carry on. You hear a you hear rustling in the bushes a few yards away. Rustling is the sound of leaves and branches. Like also paper rustles. That's a rustling sound. Okay. Right? That's rustling. So you hear rustling in the bushes a few yards away. Davy and Bruce glance over to the woods. Must be an animal. A uh, raccoon maybe, says Davy. Bruce stands up. Maybe not, he says. So what should we do? Should we investigate the noise or should we stay back and analyse the situation? So this is one of the fun things about being outdoors. You've got a campfire going, you're having some beers, telling scary stories, and then you hear some noise. I think we should go and investigate the noise and see what happens. Come on. 
You stand up, pick up a stick and wander over to the bushes alongside Bruce and Davy. What is it? asks Kim nervously. You carefully lean into the bushes and peer through, straining your eyes in the dim moonlight. What is that? You hear a hurried crunch of twigs. So you can hear sticks and branches breaking. You hear a hurried crunch of twigs and something barreling off through the trees. So something running off through the trees. Barreling is a bit like moving as if you've got a big barrel, like the things that are used to contain beer, and rolling it down a hill. So it rolls really quickly. So you see, you hear a hurried crunch of twigs and something barreling off through the trees, something running away. The dark figure disappears into the grove. The grove is like this this group of trees. It's hard to tell in the darkness, but it looked like a person. It was just an animal, says Davy, as he steps away from the edge of the forest. What do you say? You say, no, it wasn't. That was a person. Or shall we say nothing? I think we should say that that was a person, right? I mean, if it was, it looked like a person, sounded like a person. Maybe this is that serial killer. I think it's probably worth saying, no, that was a person. No, it wasn't. That was a person, you say. There's a unanimous gasp from around... There's a unanimous gasp from the group around the campfire. Unanimous means everyone. It's done by everyone. So everyone goes... (gasps) Davy looks at you quizzically. Quizzically, meaning confused and like, what? He looks at you quizzically. Huh? All I saw was a big fox that got scared of us, then ran off into the woods. You're going to freak everyone out if you say stuff like that. Bruce steps up. I saw him too, he barks. Someone's out there watching us. Ooh, ooh. is it the ghost? Or is it the serial killer? Or is it something else? Let's see. Kim stands up and takes a nervous step away from the woods. I'm going back to the cabin. Will someone come with me? Her voice cracks as she speaks. Will someone come with me? Davy volunteers. I'll walk you back there, he says. I was meaning to get something out of my bag anyway. So what should we do? Should we go with them or should we stay with everyone else? I think we should stay with everyone else. Davy's all right. He seems like a cool guy. He's the skater guy. He's probably trustworthy. We'll let him go. And we're going to stay here. I don't suppose any of these people could be the serial killer, right? I mean, we don't necessarily know who they all are. I don't suppose Davy, who seems like this cool, chilled out skater, could actually be the serial killer. I suppose we'd identify him. I think he's probably okay. We're going to stay with everyone else. Anyway, Jane... I seem to be getting on quite well with Jane, so, you know, I think, we just, I think we'll stick around. You watch as Kim and Davy disappear into the darkness. Ooh, ghost story time, laughs Lili. Seriously, says DC. Oh, wait a minute, I've just realised Davy is not the skater, he's the guy with the beard. Hmm, could be the killer. Maybe Kim's going to maybe Kim is about to to meet a sticky end uh, if you know what I mean so oh ghost story time says Lili seriously says DC after all that weirdness Kim's on the verge of tears because she's so scared yeah but she just left says Lili I love a good scare 
Lili turns to you and smiles. I bet you have a good ghost story. Am I right? Let's hear it. So which one should we tell? The one about the hook hand guy? The one about the alien abduction? Or don't tell a ghost story? Well, of course I'm going to tell a ghost story. I love ghost stories as well. I mean, I probably shouldn't considering there seems to be... It doesn't really seem to be the right time considering there's a serial killer on the loose. And Kim is not feeling very good, but I can't resist a good scary story. I think I know the one about the hook hand guy. I've actually told that story on the podcast before. Um, alien abduction. I'm, I'm actually going to go for the hook hand guy just to see if it's the one I think it is. Whoa, that, whoa, that, that gave me a shock. Did you hear that? Did you hear that scream? That was on the podcast, folks. Okay. That wasn't in the real world. Before you can begin your story, you hear an ear-splitting scream. Now, that definitely made me jump. Did it make you jump as well? Sorry about that, listeners. Anyway, so, um, where were we? So, what the hell was that, says DC. He stands up, looking out towards where Kim and Davy went. That came from the staff cabins. June stands up as well. We have to go and see what happened. Bruce remains seated and chuckles. <laughs> he, he goes, Davy probably just came on too strong. I wouldn't want to be a cock block. Oh, Bruce. So if someone comes on too strong, it means that they are. So he's assuming that Davy tried to seduce uh, Kim or that he tried to make a move on Kim. But if you come on too strong, it's like you are too direct. So maybe he tried to kiss her or something like that uh, or something else. And she screamed. I mean, if that's the case, then we definitely need to step in, don't we? But uh, Bruce is like, I'm not going to go. I don't want to be a cock block. A cock block, this is quite a crude expression. If you, if you, cock blocking is when you prevent a man from getting it on with a girl in some way. You you just stop it happening. Cock blocking, it's called. So a look of disgust spreads across June's face. That's not funny, Bruce. It sounds like someone's hurt. Seriously? Bruce laughs. That girl Kim is so on edge. I bet she just saw a bat and lost her mind. Don't waste your time. So I think we need to go and investigate the scream. We're not just going to ignore it. We're going to go and investigate, right? Because either Davy has done something that he shouldn't have done, in which case we need to definitely go in and and stop it, or Kim has been genuinely hurt. Let's go and investigate. You go with June and DC towards the staff cabins to check out the scream. There's a woman approaching you in the moon. There's a woman approaching you in the moonlight. It's Kim. What happened? Asks June. He 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 killed Davy. Kim hisses through tears. Someone came out of the woods and stabbed Davy in the in the stomach. Let's try to remain calm, says DC who's clearly beginning to freak out as well. Okay, everyone, just try and stay calm. You hurry back to the campfire to warn the others. Oh, my God, Davy! Oh, another scream. Then there's another scream, this time from the campfire. That sounded like Lili, says June. 
You round the corner and see a dark figure dashing off into the woods. Bruce chases the man into the forest fearlessly as Lily remains motionless on the cold ground. Oh my God. So, another scream. Uh, What's Bruce doing? That's crazy, cries DC. So Bruce has chased the man into the forest. Bruce, bit of a dick, but fair enough. He seems quite brave. Um, What's Bruce doing? That's crazy, cries DC. Lily is dead on the ground. Her throat is slit and her blood soaking into the earth. Wow. So her throat has been slit. Her throat's been cut. Oh, my God. It's, it's proper horror movie stuff. So what should we do? We can follow Bruce and the killer into the woods or find safety with June, DC and Kim. Follow follow Bruce or, or protect the others. I think we're going to try and find some safety with June and Kim and DC. I think we should. That's probably the wise thing to do. Right? We That's probably what you should do. If there's a killer... You should try and escape. You should try and hide. That's what we're going to do. The four of you retreat from the scene and regroup. You'll need to work together to stay alive. This is end of act two, first blood. So depending on your choices and interactions, blah, blah, blah. So here's our character type. We are... uh, Reckless, level five for reckless, level six for cautious, level seven for carefree. If you're reckless, by the way, it means you you don't you take decisions without really thinking them through carefully. You just make quick decisions without really being careful. It's a bit like careless. Um, let's see what Colin says about reckless. I'm you know I'm pretty sure I'm right, but if you say someone is reckless, you mean that they act in a way which shows that they, they do not care about danger or they do not care about the effect their behavior will have on other people. So it's kind of careless, wild, rash, irresponsible. That's reckless, okay? So um we are level five for reckless, level six for cautious. Again, I don't know how you can be both cautious and reckless at the same time. Level seven for carefree. Carefree is like when you're cool and you don't worry about things too much. And number two uh, for thoughtful. I thought I was a bit more thoughtful than that. But anyway, relationships, we've got a level three relationship with June, level four with DC and one with Kim, one with Mrs. Ernest. Bruce is missing, but we've got a level three relationship with him. Uh, Davy is is dead, and we and and Lily is also dead. DC seems to be our closest friend, followed by June and Bruce now as well. Okay, let's continue. So it's so it's me, June, DC, Kim, uh, Bruce, and Mrs. Ernest as well. Don't forget her. So let's continue. We should get as far away from this camp as possible, says DC. If we're fast and lucky, maybe we can get to the parking lot before that butcher finds us. Parking lot in in the UK is a car park. And when he says that butcher, he doesn't literally mean a butcher, someone who sells meat. But a butcher is someone who, you know, someone who's been butchering people rather than butchering meat. So it means someone who's been you know, uh, violently attacking people with a knife. We should get um, get to the parking lot before the butcher finds us. But what about Mrs. Ernest, says June. 
We'd be leaving her to die. Plus, if we get to Mrs. Ernest, we can use her landline to call for help. Landline is a telephone, not a mobile, but a a normal conventional telephone. All I know is all our cell phones have no service out in these stupid woods, so we can't call for the police. And even if we could, it would take them way too long to get here at the rate this is going. The administrative cabin is is totally the other direction than the parking lot. That's a suicide mission. Kim is practically frozen in fear and has no comment. So what should we do? Get to the parking lot and escape and get out of here. Uh, Go to the administrative cabin and warn Mrs. Ernest or say nothing. What are we going to do? Are we going to protect Mrs. Ernest? Or just get to the parking lot and get out of here? We're going to protect, we're going to go back and warn Mrs. Ernest. We don't leave anyone behind. Let's go. So I say we go to the administrative cabin and warn Mrs. Ernest. What? DC is flabbergasted, like uh, shocked and stunned. What, do you have a death wish? You think June will like you if you follow her idiotic plan? Newsflash, dude, it's not worth it. I guarantee this girl's affection is not worth dying for. June retorts. You're being such a jerk right now, DC. You're heartless. Well, I'll literally have my heart removed by a serial killer if I stay at this camp much longer, he says. Mrs. Ernest needs our help. Let's continue. The four of you make your way across the campground towards the administrative cabin. You gaze out at Lake Stabbywacker as you run along the shore, moonlight reflecting off the tranquil surface. It looks like that storm cloud June saw earlier is rolling in. Drops of rain begin pattering down infrequently, but in growing numbers. You're nearing the cabin now. So it's starting to rain. Oh, 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 scary music. Scary music. In the distance, you see a hulking figure approaching you. Hulking means large, basically like the Hulk from the the movies. A hulking figure approaching you. He grips a shovel. This is like a, a spade, something you use to dig in the ground. He grips a shovel and in the moonlight, you see that he has a thick black beard and dark coat. Oh dear. Is this Davy? Is Davy the serial killer? Kim screams and DC begins backing away in fear. The man is about 50 yards away, lumbering across the campground in the pale light. Sort of moving, sort of clumsily and like that. June looks at the man, then at you. Come on, let's go, she cries to you. You look over at the small shed on the shore of the lake. Surely there's an oar or knife or some other tool that can be used as a weapon in there. You could run in, grab something and fight. Time is running out. So, do we run away or do we find a weapon and fight? Well, you know, what you should do in this situation is run away. But since this is supposed to be an exciting story on Luke's English podcast, we're going to find a weapon and we're going to fight. An oar, by the way, is a thing that you use in a boat to uh, to move the boat through the water. Made of wood, the, the, the oar dips into the water and you pull the boat through the water using the oars. So an oar, a knife or some other tool. We're going to find a weapon and fight. Come on, let's have it. You run over to the shed and throw the door open. Let's get out of here. 
cries DC. The man is getting closer. You emerge from the shed, wielding a heavy oar. Now or never, you run at the hulking man and attack, swinging desperately at his massive body. I don't think this is Davy. The man grapples with you, dropping his shovel and managing to push you away and knock the oar out of your hands. What are you doing? He growls, his voice deep and guttural. I'll have you fired, you freak. Fired? Um, you're breathing heavily, your heart nearly exploding out of your chest. Fired? <coughs> fired, you cough. Do you trust this giant of a man? I'm the Stabbywhacker groundskeeper, snarls the man. A groundskeeper, this is the person who's responsible for looking after the, you know, the, the grounds, like the plants, the, the keeping the place clean and tidy. I'm the, I'm the Stabbywhacker groundskeeper, snarls the man. I heard screaming, so I went looking around. Now I see you've slashed up the tyres on all the cars and you're going ballistic with an oar. What's the meaning of this? Slash the tyres. The murderer must have made sure you can't escape. June comes... So, by the way, slash the tyres means cut the tyres. June comes running to your side and helps you up. Groundskeeper, do you realise there's a murderer running around this camp? DC butts in, he interrupts, from a safe distance. Get away from him! You can't seriously trust that guy. He could be the killer! The groundskeeper takes a step away from you and June. If what you're saying... Hold on. If what you're saying is true... His voice trails off. Does Mrs. Ernest know? Oh, oh. Sounds of a knife or something. A dark figure leaps from the shadowy forest behind the groundskeeper. The mysterious man digs a long knife into the groundskeeper's back, causing him to stumble to his knees in agony. So he's this mysterious man has stabbed the groundskeeper in the back. That's a pity. I was getting to like that guy. The groundskeeper coughs up a thick mouthful of blood as the figure concealed in the shadows steps around him, gliding the side of his knife against the groundskeeper's shoulder to clean off the fresh blood. Oh my God. You, please forgive me, gasps the groundskeeper as he looks up at the man. The groundskeeper looks up at you. Run, he shouts. You get up to sprint, meaning run really fast, as the groundskeeper reaches out and latches onto the mysterious man's legs, slowing him down long enough for you to escape with June, DC and Kim. So we're we're running away. The groundskeeper, who's just been stabbed in the back and is probably going to die, has grabbed the uh, mysterious man's legs to, to slow him down. You hear the groundskeeper let out a final cry of pain as the murderer lands a finishing blow and vanishes back into the trees. A blow can be... That's a blow, but also a blow can be a hit, uh, a strike with a weapon. So the murderers killed the groundskeeper and then vanished into the trees. Oh, dear. You sprint the rest of the way to the administrative cabin and upon reaching it, see the door is slightly open. You carefully push open the creaky door and walk into the quiet building. The sound of your group's nervous breathing fills the room. Run, you hear from inside the cabin. Save yourselves! 
It's Mrs. Ernest's voice. From the shadows emerges Mrs. Ernest, and she's held tightly by a short, muscular, balding man. So Mrs. Ernest is there, and she's being held tightly by a man who is short, muscular, and balding, meaning going bald. The man is holding a pair of hedge clippers up to Mrs. Ernest's throat. The rusty blade pressed against her skin. Hedge clippers, those things that you would use to cut the leaves and branches off a hedge. Chink, chink, you know, gardening tools. He's holding a pair of hedge clippers up to Mrs. Ernest's throat. The rusty blade, rusty means covered in that sort of brownish orange uh, residue that you get from uh, metal which has been in, in the rain. Uh, the rusty blade is pressed up against her skin. This is definitely not the same man that killed the groundskeeper. Hmm, maybe there's more than one of them. June gasps. That's Charles Akron, the escaped convict. I remember seeing a news report with his picture. Give me your cell phones and car keys, shrieks Akron. You have ten seconds or I slice this hog's throat. A hog is another word for a pig. Give me the car keys and phones or I'll slice this this pig's throat. Phones and keys are useless, pleads June desperately. There's no service out here and our cars have all been slashed apart. We're all trapped. Akron presses the blade against Mrs. Ernest's neck slightly harder. What do you mean slashed? Who destroyed your cars? Was it the same person that sliced the damn phone line? So clearly this other person cut the phone line as well. What's going on? So we've got Charles Akron, the serial killer here, but then there's someone else as well doing things. You all exchange terrified glances. <laughs> there's someone else here, Akron, you say. Someone that's already killed at least three people, probably four. Akron throws Mrs. Ernest down on the ground and delivers a swift kick to her stomach. Ouch. The four of you shuffle out of the way as he steps outside the cabin and looks around. The rain is beginning to pick up as the drops have become a steady shower. Shh. Across the campground, you can see that same dark figure waiting, his knife gleaming. So there is this other guy with his knife there. Who the hell are you? He shouts. That's probably Akron shouting to the man. No response. Well, he must have a way out of here if he's keeping all of you hostage, chuckles Akron, as he grips the hedge clippers tighter, his knuckles turning white. He steps out into the rain and walks towards the dark figure, waving the clippers menacingly. Okay. <laughs> so Akron probably wants to escape, and so he's going to approach this guy, maybe to force him to help him escape. Okay, June and Kim help up Mrs. Ernest as you and DC watch Akron run at the dark figure. It's basically Satan versus Beelzebub. I've heard of the rooting. I've heard of rooting for the lesser of two evils, says DC. But I honestly don't know who I want to win this fight. Best case scenario, one of them kills the other, but in the process is mortally wounded. So let's hope they both kill each other. How can we escape? asks. Mrs. Ernest in desperation. So what do we do? We murder both of those murderers, or we hop in a boat and go to the other side of the lake, or we hide until morning and wait until guards looking for Miss uh, looking for Akron find us, or we walk out there while those two are 
We walk out of here while those two are distracted. So we murder them both. Well, I don't think so. It's not easy to kill a person, uh, uh, as as we sort of talked about recently uh, uh, in the episode with Moz. It's not that easy. Or we hop in a boat and sail to the other side of the lake. Or we hide and wait for the police to find us. Or we walk out while the others are distracted. Um, right, we're not going to walk out while the others are, dis- are distracted because it's not quick enough. And uh, what else? We are um, hide until morning. Uh, no, we're not going to hide. They'll find us. Someone will find us. Hop in a boat and go to the other side of the lake. I quite like that one. That's the one we're going to go for. So we hop in a boat and go to the other side of the lake. Mrs. Ernest scratches her head for a moment. I like it, she says, but we'll need fuel. I think there's some on the other side of the camp in the tool shed near the trails. You all leave the cabin as Akron and the dark figure duel, like fight together, on the outskirts of the forest. You make your way between cabins as rain pours down. You look back and see a man following you, stumbling and holding his wounded arm. Wait a second, that's Bruce. He limps over to you. Like he's obviously got an injury in his leg because he can't walk properly. So he limps over blood dripping from his arm. What the hell happened? Asks DC. Also, why the hell did you follow the guy into the woods? Bruce grunts a tough, heroic grunt. So a grunt is like a sound like that. I'm just a hero. I almost had him. I finally caught up with him and we fought for a minute, but he caught me in the arm and I fell down a hill. He must have thought I died, but I dragged myself out of there. Damn. You fill in Bruce on the plan, meaning sort of like keep up, update him. Sounds good, he says, though I'm still down to kill that guy. I got a good look at him while we were fighting. He had red hair and a long scar across his jaw. Mrs. Ernest's mouth falls open. Oh my God, she gasps. That's little Jim Reed's father. Jim Reed, asks DC. So she said, that's little Jim Reed's father. That's the boy that died here a few years ago. The tragic accident. His father blamed the camp, she says. He must be getting revenge. Oh, God. So the father of the boy who died at the camp is coming for revenge. (laughs) Of course. All right. Right, that's the end of Act 3. The enemy of my enemy is still my enemy, but I hope they fight each other. So I am reckless. I'm cautious. I'm carefree. I'm not very thoughtful, apparently. My best relationship is with June, uh, I've, and I'm I'm on a level three relationship with Bruce and DC. Charles Akron, he's going to kill me, and Davy and Lilai uh, are and the groundskeeper are, are all dead. Wonderful, he said sarcastically. So the tool shed is up ahead. You run to the door and find a padlock is holding it secure. Mrs. Ernest, where's the key, you ask. She digs through her pockets, then her eyes wide open. No, she digs through her pockets and then her eyes open wide. I must have given the key to Akron when he made me give him my phone and car keys. She stumbles over as if punched in the stomach and winded. Ah, I'm sorry, I didn't even realise. Bruce walks over to the shed. 
We don't have time to go back. We can break it open. He plants a hard kick on the wooden door. So he kicks the door open. Okay, so we are at the tool shed to try and find fuel for the boat so we can escape across the lake. The two killers are fighting with each other. Bruce kicks the door down. Whomp, whomp, whomp. You hear something rolling behind you, bouncing across the soggy ground like a heavy ball. Uh, you turn round and peer out into the dark rain and then look down at your feet. It's the severed head of Charles Akron. <gasps> oh, my God. So Charles Akron, the serial killer, has had his head chopped off and this other attacker has thrown the head towards us. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. It's horrible. Whoa, lightning. And thunder. There's a burst of lightning. And you can see the dark figure, now illuminated, complete with red hair and a long scar on his jaw, about 30 yards away. He spins the long knife between his fingers as he stares at you. And then crunch. Bruce kicks in the battered door, opening up the tool shed. The group explodes into panic as they too see the mysterious red-haired man. Grab the fuel, cries Bruce as he reaches into the shed and pulls out a saw from the shelf with his good arm. Oh, God. A saw is the thing that you use to cut wood. Right? He charges towards the man in a blind fury. If you're in a fury, it means you're in an angry rage. He runs towards the guy with the saw, with, uh, with a saw, saw, not a sword, but with a saw in his hand. June, DC and Kim sprint into the shed and start looking for the fuel. Mrs. Ernest is frozen in fear. I'm sorry, is all she can muster. If you can muster something, it means you can get the courage to do it. It's all she can manage. Sorry that she lost the shed key. Sorry that she brought you all here. And sorry that she let little Jim Reed die. It was an accident, she says. So what do we do? Help Bruce find the... Help Bruce fight the red-haired man or help look for fuel. I don't really fancy running towards this guy who's just chopped off the head of a serial killer. The serial killer killer. I don't really fancy that. I mean, I'm, you know, maybe that's a bit pathetic, but I don't want to get my head chopped off. Fair enough, right? Let's look for fuel so we can escape. Uh, you run into the shed with June, DC and Kim. Outside, you can hear Bruce fighting as you throw garden tools around looking for the fuel. Found it! You cry as you pull out an old metal canister from under a shelf. You can hear the gasoline swishing around inside. In America, they call it gasoline. In the UK, we call it petrol. You run outside with an... an you run outside when an idea hits you. DC, do you still have that lighter? You think back to the campfire. Pang! The red-haired man hits Bruce's saw out of his hand and sends it flying through the air. So Bruce has lost his sword. It's flown out of his hand. With one swift swing, he slices off Bruce's good hand. Schlonk! So he's taken off Bruce's good hand. Bruce drops to one knee, eyes fixed on the bloody stump of his arm. Ah! Looking at his arm with no hand on it, his face turns pale. 
Oh, God, maybe we should have helped Bruce. But maybe that would be us then. Let's see. Oh, dear. Knife sounds. The red-haired man plunges his knife into Bruce's chest, causing him to cough up a lungful of blood. The killer looks over at you, eyes hot with rage. He attempts to yank the blade out of Bruce's body, but Bruce holds tight. So Bruce is holding onto the knife. Bruce grabs hold of the red-haired man's arm with his wounded hand and bites down on the man's wrist. Get away, he commands with muffled words as he bites harder. So he's he's biting on the killer's arm. Damn. For a long moment, the the red-haired man struggles with Bruce until he finally throws him into the mud. He throws him off into the mud. Sploosh. So I guess the red-haired man has has managed to throw Bruce down. You hold the fuel... And with a heroic effort, you splash a wave of gasoline on the red-haired man. So we've just thrown some petrol all over the man. He steps back for a moment, his shirt soaked in fuel. DC runs up close and pulls out his lighter, flicking it on. He throws the lighter and through some miracle, the rain doesn't put it out. (laughs) In a blazing explosion... The man erupts into flames as the gasoline ignites. He cries out in agony and runs off into the woods, crashing down a hill and plummeting into the darkness. We, we, we did it, stutters Kim, a visible wave of relief flooding over her. Haven't you ever seen a scary movie, says DC. He's not dead, not yet. He'll be back any second. We still have to get out of here. We have a little bit of fuel left. Let's go. June rushes over to Bruce's body. He's gasping for shallow breaths. There's no E at the end of breaths. Um, Losing way too much blood, way too fast. She rips off her shirt and wraps it around the stump of his arm to to slow the bleeding. Damn. Quick, she shouts. Get the medical kit from the tool shed. I think I saw one in there. You dart into the tool shed and look around. On one wall, there's a medical kit, and on the other, an axe. You hear rustling in the woods through the heavy rainfall. So, do we grab the medical kit to save Bruce's life, or we grab the axe? What if the killer is coming back already? Oh, God. Decisions, decisions, eh? Life is full of these decisions. Uh, Are we going to get the axe or save Bruce's life. We've got to save Bruce's life. I don't know why we can't grab both. But anyway, we're going to save Bruce's life first. So you snatch up the medical kit off the wall and rush outside to June. She starts hurriedly wrapping up Bruce's wounds. Good work, she breathes and hugs you tightly. Oh, Bruce raises his weak hand and points behind you. (laughs) He can barely speak, but he coughs. Look out! Maybe I should have got the axe. (laughs) Oh dear. Uh Uh-oh. Oh Oh no! The red-haired man, badly burnt and fuming with anger, barrels out of the woods, swinging his knife wildly. He catches June in the back with the blade as she jumps out to save you. June saved my life. Oh, my God. And she got stabbed in the process. No. Oh, I thought I was in with a chance there. 
Oh dear, June collapses to the ground, a grisly knife wound in her back. Grisly meaning nasty, horrible, knife wound. You fall backwards as the man stands over you. He raises his knife high above his head, but before he can strike you, but before he can strike, you grab a handful of mud and throw it up into his eyes. He squints and stumbles backwards, vulnerable and blinded for a moment. A moment in which you grab Bruce's saw off the ground and spin around, slashing the red-haired man's neck. Ugh! Blood spurts out as he crumples to the ground, grabbing at his throat desperately and fruitlessly. Like that. Horrible death. He rolls on his back, writhing in agony, like moving in a lot of pain for a moment before perishing in the rain. Perishing, that's another word for dying. So, wow, it looks like we killed him by slashing his throat with the saw. There's a there's a unanimous sigh of relief from the group. The group, there's me, DC, is Bruce still alive? Is June alive? I don't know. Mrs. Ernest as well. Mrs. Ernest and Kim as well, yeah. Mrs. Ernest runs past you, grabs the medical kit and starts patching up June. She's breathing quickly and nervously. I can't feel my legs, she whimpers, tears welling in her eyes. Oh no, it's sad. Has she been has she been um, paralysed? Kim runs up to you and hugs you tight. You saved us all. Yeah, all in a day's work for Luke from Luke's English Podcast. She looks up at you, eyes twinkling in the moonlight, rain wetting her short red hair, biting her lip. This slender girl leans in to kiss you. Hmm. I didn't expect this. So what should we do? Kiss Kim or pull away from Kim? So the only reason you pull away from Kim is because, well, maybe you fancy June and you think that you've got a chance with her. And if she kiss, if Kim kisses you, then, but then again, she, June might have lost all, uh, all sense in her legs. Oh, I don't know. I mean, if she's going to kiss me, who am I to stop her? I'll kiss her back. Come on. Your lips meet passionately as rain pours down around you, her warmth contrasting with the cool night air. Not the most romantic, seeing as there's a severed head, a dying teenager and a dead murderer within a few yards, but still a much-needed cathartic release. Okay, what a roller coaster this story is. Uh-uh, oh no. You gasp in pain, falling away from Kim abruptly. What? Looking down in confusion, you see a switchblade sticking out of your stomach, tightly gripped by Kim's slender hand. What? She yanks the blade out of you, ripping through your organs and sending you toppling backwards. What on earth? What's going on? How had you not seen it? She was the one that killed Davy. She had been alone with him when he died. Why was she spared? It never occurred to you that Davy and Lili were killed almost at the same time. The red-haired man couldn't have been at both ends of the camp at once. That, yeah, that did strike me, but I just thought it was like Peter Carlson's writing style, to be honest. Her red hair, the same red hair as the murderer, Mr. Reed. She is his daughter. 
and the and and the sister it says brother in the text but obviously sister and the sister of little jim reed you're enveloped by darkness so darkness is closing in around us me as you hear kim's maniacal laughter fill the air ha 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 she laughs like that one last laugh dead but really close to ending the game try again okay so we could go and restart the story or the game is giving us the chance to go back and don't kiss with kim okay so you know i think we're going to do that let's go back and not kiss kim so you push kim away sort of saying no i fancy june and you take a step backwards she looks at you innocently and confused then it all hits you Blah, blah, blah. Same thing. She, you've worked out she is the sister of little Jim Reed. You look down and she's holding a switchblade, extended and ready to cut. She swishes the knife at you, but you jump away, the blade slicing through your wet shirt. You wrestle the knife out of Kim's hand and throw her down. With the help of DC, you restrain her and then tie her up with rope from the tool shed. Wow. The next morning. So you'd gotten very little sleep that night. So in, in American English, it's got, uh, got, got, gotten. But in English, British English, it's, no, sorry, get, got, gotten. And British English, get, got, got. So gotten is the past participle of get in American English. But it's just got in British English. So you'd gotten or you'd got very little sleep that night. The sun is rising, the storm having passed a few hours ago. As a group, you decided that you and DC would go out and try to find help while June and Mrs. Ernest stayed with Bruce and Kim. Either guards looking for Charles Akron will find you or you'll make it to a main road and get to the nearest town. You and DC wander down the wet dirt road out of Camp Stabbywacker. Dude laughs DC. You know what really sucks about everything that happened? Now June can't even look at us without thinking about some horrible tragedy. Cock blocked by a serial killer. The nerve of that guy. You laugh and joke with him while you walk. Hey, did you hear that one about the guy with the dead body? Asks DC. Now that's, by the way, listeners, that, that's how you announce that you're about to tell a joke. Did you hear the one about the blah, blah, blah? Did you hear that did you hear the one about the guy with the dead body? Asks DC. He got home and his wife was dead in his backyard, just sprawled on the grass. The damn dog must have dug, the damn dog must have dug her up again. What? Hey, did you hear the one about the guy with the dead body? Asks DC. He got home and his wife was dead in his backyard, just sprawled on the grass. The damn dog must have dug her up again the end wait a minute that's a very weird ending what's going on it, that's terrible that is that some sort of joke did you hear about the joke do you hear about the story of the guy with the dead body he got home and his wife was dead in his backyard just sprawled on the grass okay so i suppose it's like a little horror story in a couple of sentences a guy got home and found his wife dead uh, sprawled on the grass and you're thinking, oh no, someone killed his wife. And the next line, the damn dog must have dug her up again. 
The dog must have dug her up, meaning, ah, I see. With more information, we realise that uh, the man killed um, his wife uh, and then buried her in the garden and the dog keeps digging her up. Just a weird joke. I guess that DC and like DC and our character like to tell each other these weird jokes. <laughs> Slightly weird ending to the story. But there you go. That's the end. So what's my character type? Oh. Music. All right. I've got to, I can't play the music. Otherwise, we'll get blocked on YouTube. So um, we are uh, reckless eight points, cautious, seven points, carefree, eight points. So, sorry, these character type things don't make any sense to me, but apparently I'm I'm reckless, cautious, and carefree, and slightly thoughtful. And uh, my best relationship at the end is with uh, DC, who turns out to be uh, our friend. So there's some musical credits. Mostly they're just sound effects. Um, there's a there's a song at the beginning which we didn't hear, which is "Sure Thing" by Miguel. The violins were uh, from Psycho, the movie. Ching 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 ching, and then we heard the instrumental to the International Players Anthem by UGK. So a few musical credits there. Um, so, <laughs> listeners, <laughs> um, there you go. That was uh, Camp Stabby Whacker, uh, a rip roaring horror adventure. Um, with a very strange ending, with like a weird joke at the end, which I didn't understand either. But there you go. All right. So um, quite a lot of vocabulary to pick up from that. Now, you could have just enjoyed this as a story. Hopefully you did enjoy it as a story. Uh, but also you could see it as a um, as a way to pick up English, of course. So as I said before, you could go back through the story yourself, make your own choices, see if the, that makes a difference to the story. And you know, grab some vocab from there and uh, add it to your probably ever-growing vocabulary list. Uh, that is all for this episode of Luke's English Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for watching. If you are watching this on YouTube, don't forget to like and subscribe. You know, smash the like button or slash the like button, maybe, in this case. Uh, and I will speak to you on the podcast very, very soon. Uh, if you're watching the video, if you're still watching the video, if you're still alive and you're not just a skeleton uh, in front of a computer, then um, check out my podcast, right? I mean, you, I don't know if you listen to it, but you can get Luke's English podcast uh, on all the major platforms. And uh, I've been doing this for about 13 years and um, it's going all right. People seem to like it. A lot of people seem to learn English with it. So that's good, isn't it? All right. Have a lovely uh, afternoon, morning, evening, night, or whatever it is. I'm now going to eat this little uh, pot of pineapple chunks. <laughs> Listeners, I've got a pot of pineapple chunks that's been sitting on the table in front of me the, this entire time. And I've been every now and then looking at it going, oh, God, I'd love to eat some pineapple. So I'm now going to eat some pineapple and carry on with my life. And I recommend that you do the same thing. I mean, you know, not necessarily eat the pineapple, but at least carry on with your normal life. Okay. Let me know what you thought of this story, how ridiculous it was and all that sort of thing. And I will speak to you on the podcast soon. But for now, it's just time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.